If you have your Bibles or a copy of the bulletin, there's a scripture in there. We're going to look at the Gospel of John, uh, starting in chapter 1. And I'm only going to read these uh, few verses, actually uh, through 51. So John chapter 1, and uh, it's printed in your bulletin if you don't have your scriptures with you. And we'll continue looking at this narrative today. Now here, uh, the Word of God, we're going to start reading in, uh, in 35, okay? The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and then they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first went and found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you and when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him saying, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. We started this uh, series of months ago in the book of Genesis and looked at just the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which is the primeval or primordial history of creation of the world. And uh, so God is telling us how the world was created, why it was created, what it was for, and all that in Genesis. But then you have a new creation, a new beginning in John's gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, The same was in the beginning with God. Nothing that's made was made without Him. He made everything. So you see that that the Bible has this second uh, account of what we've been calling new beginnings. And I'm only going to go through a few. We're going to look at just a couple more of these short narratives to show you what God is telling us about the new creation, the one that we live in now, this new age, the last days, what we call the last days from time Jesus rose until uh, the end of time, whenever that is. These are the last days, the new age. This is the kingdom age of Jesus Christ. Right now, we're, we're 
we're moving out, we're taking uh, the world and, and preaching the gospel to them before he comes. And so there's all that. And the gospel of John kind of lays out a framework, if you will, for why that's important and what uh, we need to think about with respect to our lives here in this pluralistic world that, uh, that needs us, needs the church, needs you people desperately, wherever you are. So there's three things that we'll look at, just these questions. Basically, what are these disciples seeking? What's going on in their mind? What are they looking for? And then secondly, what do you, they think they find? And then finally, uh, we'll talk about what do they really find? So what, are they, what do they want? What are they following Jesus? What exactly do they want? What do they think they find and what do they really find? So very quickly, uh, look at verses 35 through 37. John was, John the Baptist was with two of his disciples and Jesus came. Remember, he had done this the day before. This is the next day. Jesus comes back. There's a lot of people there getting baptized by John and John sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now right away, our minds run to all of the, the scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, the, the Lamb that was supposed to appear for Abraham, and it was a ram instead. But nevertheless, uh, we, think about, we think of Passover, we think of the sacrifice daily and uh, morning and evening sacrifices, which was a lamb. We think about uh, uh, the Day of Atonement, the scapegoats. We're thinking about all these things, blood atonement, and that's all true. In fact, the New Testament rolls all that up and brings it into the, the, uh, the New Testament. But there's something that we also need to understand, that the Lamb, this figure of the Lamb, during the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, during that time, the, the Messianic movement that John the Baptist would have been familiar with and the rest of the disciples, in fact, everybody in the, the, the nation at that time who was faithful to their nation and wanted the nation to thrive, had this messianic consciousness that the Messiah was going to come and his emblem or his totem, his power, was going to be the Lamb of God. And uh, there's reasons for that we don't have time to go into, but John the, John the Baptist, when he said that's probably what he was thinking of. This is Messiah. This is Messiah. Now, John the Evangelist added the words, or we think he added the words, John the Baptist may have said that, who takes away the sin of the world. And if that's true, then John is taking all of the, uh, the imagery of Scripture and he's pouring it in to John's words, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so these guys start fo uh, following him, Andrew and another disciple. Most scholars think it was John uh, the Evangelist, but... We don't know. Uh, and Jesus sees them following him, and he turns around and he asks this question. He says, what are you seeking? What do you want? What are you looking for? On a mundane level, he's just asking them, why are you following me? You know, it, it, that's true. But he's also asking, because Jesus almost always did, that he goes deeper and he's asking a real question, which you'll see as we unfold this narrative. What do you really want in your life? What is ultimate to you? What is going to be the thing that makes you live, gives you life and light and hope? 
And salvation, not just salvation from sin, which is all great, but salvation in this broken world. What is going to carry you? What is going to be your God? Or who, more precisely, is going to be your God? What do you really want in life? Now, I'm sure that the the disciples, Andrew and the other disciple, weren't really uh, sure what Jesus was asking. They probably thought, well, he's just asking, why are you following me? And they ask him a question. Rabbi, they treat him very respectfully. Rabbi, where are you staying? In other words, they didn't understand. I don't think that a lot of these guys understood their hearts any more than we do. They're just asking, they're just trying to figure things out. And what Jesus says to them is remarkable. He says, you want to know where I'm staying? He could have given them an address. He could have said, I'm on 2250 Palestinian Lane, Uh, you know, Uh, whatever. But no, he says, come and see. He invites them into his life. Now, think about this. Generally, we think, I have to invite Jesus into my life. Well, yeah, you do. But you know what? He's inviting them into his life. And that's what he does every Sunday when you come to church. He invites you to come to him, invites you back to see him, to know him, to, to gain your life from Him in the Holy Sacrament. You know, you can go online and listen to any number of wonderful sermons, better than mine, which is hard to believe. But they're, 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 you can go and open up your browser. I have podcasts on my phone. You can listen to these magnificent sermons. But one thing you can't do online is get the Holy Sacrament the way it's supposed to be, in a community with people, all of us together, coming together and eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus and all that that means and represents. It's a sacred time and a holy time. It needs to be accompanied by the preaching of the word, which is why we do that. But think of it. Jesus is inviting them to come and see. Use your head. Come look at what I am and who I am and what I'm going to do. And they were thinking, wow, maybe he's the Messiah. He's going to bring this military power, political power, and we're going to throw the Romans out. We're going to get our country back. It's going to be so great. The the, uh, Jerusalem Stock Exchange is going to go up. Maybe it'll hit 27,000. Who knows? You guys don't watch the stock market? Okay, no, never mind. I do because I have so much money, I don't know what to do with it. I've got to find places to put it up. <laughs> All right. They don't understand their own hearts. They, 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 they may just be curious. Where is he staying? But he invites them to come in. Come and see. Come follow me. They wa- and they want to know him. They want to see if he's really the real deal. They long to know the truth, to find meaning and hope, light and life. If he's the Messiah, everything is going to change. The whole world, the complexion of planet Earth will change with the coming of Messiah, this great figure that the whole Bible is pointing towards to come and straighten out the world. Come, you will see. So they came and they stayed with him. So they're spending the night with him, I presume. They ate dinner with him. And you know as well as I do that when you enter somebody's home, you are being invited to their, their inner sanctum. And if you're offered a meal, you're, you're taking your relationship to another level. And then if you, they, you ask them to stay after dinner and have dessert, maybe you throw them out, I don't know. But if you, they stay for dinner and you have dessert then you, and coffee, and you, even more, it goes deeper. And then if you invite them back again and again and again, wow, you can, become to, you can actually come to know a person. That's how you know people in that kind of tight intimacy. 
Jesus says, come home with me, stay with me, know me, experience me. I want deep relational intimacy with you. That's what he's saying to these two disciples. And you know what is really remarkable, folks? And I've said this before, but I want to remind you. Jesus knows you already. He knows you down to the bottom of your heart. He knows all the good things about you, and most of you have lots of good things to commend you. And he also knows the dark secret things that we can't even talk to any, any human being. In fact, sometimes we're even ashamed to bring them up to God. There's, there's things in us that are so powerful, so, so uh, uh, strong, these idols of our heart that get a hold of us to the point that we cannot let them go. He knows that. He knows. He's well aware. And he still says, come. Bring your secrets. Bring your darkness. Bring your woundedness. Bring your brokenness. Bring it to me. All you that are labor that are heavy laden, bring it to me. Don't fix it and then come. Bring it to me. I will fix it. And Christianity, if you get those mixed up, becomes the worst religion instead of the best religion. Right? You all agree? It becomes the worst if you've got to clean up your act, then go to God, I wouldn't want to be a Christian. But when I know that I have this invitation, come and stay with me. And I know that He knows me and He still wants me, even with all my junk. How can you resist that? So they go and stay with me. What do they think they found? Look down at the next section, and I'm taking big chunks of this because... In the new creation, in the new world, this becomes the bedrock of our faith. Who Jesus Christ is. How you answer that question of who this man is will determine your eternal destiny. Now people don't like that. You mean i got to go to Christ to, to find eternal destiny? Yeah, you do. And I'm sorry, I, I didn't make it up. I, I mean, it's not my religion. He did it. I wish he'd have done something else. Don't you? Why did he do this? How come we can't just pay a little bit of money and get in? Like we do at everything. Disney and all that stuff. You want to get admitted? Give something for it. I mean, that makes sense. But this, this doesn't make sense. It makes us uncomfortable. What do they think they have found? Look at 48 through 45. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he goes and finds Peter probably that afternoon before they, I think, and some other scholars think that the three of them spent the evening, Peter also was there that evening before they went and found Philip. So Andrew finds uh, Peter. Peter, uh, he tells Peter this, we have found Messiah. Now for for that day, the original audience, anybody that, that would have been there that day would have thought immediately, Messiah is not going to come and wash people's feet and end up dying on a cross. And Messiah is not going to come like he's not going to ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. He's going to ride into Jerusalem on a war charger with an army behind him. And we're going to throw the Romans out. And he's going to come with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And he's going to come with dazzling political skills and great God-anointed wisdom. Messiah means the anointed one, Mashiach. And in Greek, Christos, Christ. The Messiah, the one who has got it from God to go and do what he needs to do to free his people. We found Messiah. The next day they go and they find they they get Philip and Philip 
Jesus calls him, follow me. Then now Philip's going. And Philip then goes and finds this, this amazing connection. It's like hitting a, a, a pool, a, a billiard ball. And it's click, click, click. They're all hitting. You know, before too long, he's got a whole bunch of these guys following him. He found Philip. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And Philip says this. So Andrew and John and probably Peter said, we found Messiah. Philip says, we have found the Messiah. We found the one that Moses and the prophets have been speaking about. We found him. So they found Messiah. They found the one that Moses and the prophets were speaking about. Jesus of Nazareth. He tells Nathanael this. Now this is where I love this story. In fact, I don't know. You all have favorite stories? Anyone have a favorite story in the Bible? This is one of my favorites because I want to know what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree. Don't you want to know? We don't know. So what do they think they find? They think they found the Messiah, the one who Moses had promised, uh, the one that the prophets spoke about, Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6, he says, you know, uh, Emmanuel, uh, is, that's in chapter 7 and 9, he's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So he's rolling this out. These guys think they've found the guy that is going to bring all of the power of God to conquer the Romans and reestablish the nation of Israel, the theocracy. Power, strength, and leadership to drive out Rome. That's what they were all looking for. And you know how we know is because not long after this, John the Baptist was thrown in prison. And in prison, John began to doubt that Jesus was the one because there was no war horse. There was no army. In fact, he's going out there and he's talking to the people that the army doesn't like. He's talking to the poor people and the, the, the street people, the questionable people. And, and he's making friends with Gentiles and he's, he's eating with uh, sinners and tactically he's doing everything wrong. And John can't get his head around it. So he sends some of his own disciples to Jesus and to tell him, are you the one? You know, I don't want to be disrespectful, Jesus. I did see a dove come down. I did see, hear the voice of God saying, this is my blood. I did see, but... I, I'm not sure I can believe it. You see, seeing is not believing, is it? John saw. God told John, when you see the dove come down, this is the one. But prison and torture and suffering will do something to us. And he starts doubting. Are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus' answer is very famous. He tells the disciples of John, go back and tell John this. And then he gives a list of what he's been doing for the poor and the weak and the oppressed because the king and the Messiah was supposed to do that as well as conquer Rome, right? Not just conquer Rome, but also bring sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, cleansing the lepers, dealing with the problems that sin has put onto our world. But folks, like them, we are too worldly-minded. We are constantly looking out hither, thither, and yon to try to find the the magic, the secret sauce that's going to make us go. And we're ignoring the fact that we ourselves are broken people. We have sin in our lives. Talked about it last week. 
Nobody wants to talk about sin. It's such a downer. You have to talk about sin? Well, that's what the problem is. And if we don't talk about it, you're going to think the problem is something else. You're going to think it may... Well, it, it, hopefully it, you know, we get uh, rid of one president and get another. It depends on a political party. Or it depends on how much money I have. I've got to, make, I've got to get another job so I can make this much money. Or it depends on how healthy you are. You know, I've got to be careful what I eat and, uh, got, you know, because I don't want to die too soon. And you know, we start worrying about everything. And my kids better behave and my wife better be nice to me. And on it goes. The kingdom of God, folks, this is what is going on. And this is why what they think they found, if you think that's what is going to make it go, power and strength and money and authority and blah, 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 and all these things, that isn't going to make it go. Those things change. Money goes away. Sometimes it just flies out of your pants or your purse. I mean, it flies and you're trying to catch it and it goes before you even know it. And you wonder, where is it going? Well, it's going to somebody else besides you. And that's the story. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive. And so, the writer of this gospel is telling the people, in the new creation, this new world that we live in today, you're going to be fighting against evil forces and the devil and darkness and all of that, but you're also going to be fighting against this counterintuitive impulse in you to trust your weaknesses, to not look for perfection in yourself, not to, that it's not even there, to deconstruct the idolatries that we all hold so dearly that we think will make us go. Money, power, approval, a great education, nothing wrong with a good education, but that won't make you go. College graduates are finding it harder and harder to, to get a job today. Learn to weld. Right? See, I got some amens for that. I want to be a welder, a plumber, an electrician. I mean, there's education's not going to make you go, but you should seek it if you want it. And he's telling us, you're going to live a long time on this earth between my first coming and my second coming, and you cannot get into this, this horrible place where you think it's going to be stuff out there. It's going to be in here. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive. It, I would say it is scandalously counterintuitive. It's going to cross you almost constantly when we're starting to find, well, maybe we get the answer here or there or this or that. And what God will do is He will interrupt that and say, nope, it's not that. It's me. Back to me. I say, I'm the one that said, come, follow me. Come to my house. Come eat with me. Get to know me. Know me, Jesus. Know me. That's what He's saying. So what do they really find? This is the part I love. Nathaniel is one of my favorite people in, in the Scriptures because he's an honest broker. He's not a fake Christian. He's not, he's not a churchy guy. He's just an honest broker. In fact, Jesus says he has no guile, no deceit. He's an honest, straight-shooting son of a gun. He's going to just speak his mind and he's going to be truthful about it. There's nothing. He's, he's really a good man. And he asks the question all of us should ask. When we come to the New Testament, we start reading the Gospels, and we start looking at this man, Jesus. We should be asking this question. He's an honest broker, and he gives us the question. And the question is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, very quickly, let me tell you a little bit about Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth was up in Galilee, and 
the Judean Jews, the Jews in the south, the, the, the people from Manhattan, that's where Manhattan was, those good people, those religious people, they despised the country folk out there in Galilee. The Galileans lived up in the north around the, the land of Galilee, and the Judean elite down below hated those Galileans because they're from, you know, across the tracks. They're not the good, smart people like us. And the Galileans, if you had taken a poll of the Galileans and said, who do you hate the most? The Galileans would have said, without an exception, we all hate the Nazarenes. So the Jews hated the Galileans and the Galileans hated the Nazarenes. And, and get this, they were all Jewish. Isn't that crazy? We hate you because you're in Galilee. Oh, well, we hate the Nazarenes because they're over there in Nazareth. Nazareth was a Roman outpost and it was known for being a sketchy place. It still is. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff that went on, subterfuge and whatnot. And the Romans, there were Jews that were in bed with the Romans and making deals and nobody liked Nazareth. Nazareth, worst place you could possibly get. So Nathaniel gives a reality check to all these guys whose heads are in the clouds. Oh, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the one we've been waiting for. We're going to go again. We're going to bring Rome to its knees. Oh, aren't you excited? And Nathaniel asks the question we should all ask. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because the answer, it's a rhetorical question, and the answer is what? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The answer is No. Not possible, not going to happen. I'm not following him. He's from Nazareth. You out of your mind? And you can just see the bubbles bursting everywhere. All these guys are going, oh, what a, yeah, yeah, we should never have brought, told him. He just, you know, rained on our parade. Jesus saw Nathaniel. Now, this is, this is where you've got to love your Bible, folks. Jesus saw Nathaniel. And he says to the whole group there, not to Nathaniel in person, but just to everybody, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, with whom there is no guile, no trickery, no lying. You know what he did? You know what Jesus just did? He said to them, He's right. Almost, I can hardly think about it. He tells everybody, Nathaniel's right about me. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, that ugly, horrible place filled with crime and evil and it's like Fabens? Can anything come out of that? And of course, Jesus is saying, He's right. He's looking at all His disciples who a minute before are ready to sing His praises and dance all the way to Jerusalem. And He says, Nathaniel's right. And then he says this, before Philip, now he's addressing Nathaniel. He's going to the honest broker, this man he has just given an accolade to, and he says, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, I don't know, we're not going to speculate, I don't like speculating, uh, I don't know what was going on under the fig tree, but I can tell you this much, and I think it's very plain because of, of Nathaniel's response that he was under that fig tree and he was thinking or praying or, you know, cogitating about Messiah and the kingdom in his own life and all the things. Something so deep 
Do, do you have that, folks? Something so personal. So it was not a sinful, not sin. This is a man who was thinking deeply about God and questions and wondering what, what is going on? Why are we enslaved? Why is the world like this? Why is there suffering? I don't know what he was saying. I don't want to speculate, but it was something so personal, so deep, so hidden. And Jesus knew what that thing was, whatever it was, and it was enough to elicit this outburst of faith and confession. You are the Messiah. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus says to him, because, look at 50 and 51, because I said I saw you under the fig tree you believe? Oh, you're going to see better things than that. You know what you're going to see? Now he's addressing everybody. You're going to see greater things than that, that little bit of fortune, fortune telling that I just did. Uh-uh, more than that. Amen, amen. He says he used his famous, Jesus made this famous. He would say, truly, truly. Uh, King James said, verily, verily. Uh, the, 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 the Jews in uh, the Holy Land said, amen, amen. And uh, so it's amen, amen. Or truly, I'm telling you the absolute truth. He doubles it and says it's true, true. Really true. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And you can just see those disciples. All the sparks are flying. Their hair is standing on end. They are so excited. Yes, this is what I'm talking about. Bring that fire down, Jesus. You're the one. You can do it. Ascending into heaven opened. Oh yeah, that's what we were hoping for. You're going to see it. Angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The illusion, of course, that he's making, and every scholar, I checked almost all my commentaries, and every one of them will tell you that John is use, or Jesus is using the illusion of Jacob's ladder. Do you remember the story from... Uh, Genesis chapter 28. I think it starts around verse 12 or so. uh, Jacob is fleeing for his life from his brother Esau because he stole his birthright. And so he's fleeing and he's going into exile in Haran. And he's got nothing. He's, you know, going to go work for his uncle over there, try to find somebody that will help him out, give him a hand. So he's fleeing and he, he stops at this place at night and he makes... Uh, a bed uh, uh, with a rock. He uses a rock for a pillow, so his neck is probably good luck with that. Uh, and, and he sleeps. But he has a dream. And you all remember the dream. He sees this ladder, or uh, uh, some translations, the word is a little ambiguous, a staircase, stairs. And going up and down on those stairs are angels going up and down. And then Jacob wakes up, to make the story short, he wakes up and he says, God is in this place. This is Bethel. Beth is house. El is the shortened verge of Elohim. Bethel, the house of God. This is his dwelling place. This is where his presence is. Right here. I found it. And he anoints the rock and he does all these things. That's the house of God. Now here's what you need to know, folks, that is so profound. Dr. Don Carson, in his commentary, 
said this, the way for the disciples, or the way for Jesus, the way for Jesus to go uh, open that door, to get that opening, to make that connection between heaven and earth, to get that movement back that was closed in the Garden of Eden, that was shut down and locked to humanity. They couldn't go back in because the angels were guarding it with flames of fire in swords. And that way is blocked now. That for Jesus, the way for Jesus was the way of the cross. But the way for the disciples was Jesus. Do you understand? Think about it. The way of Jesus was the way of the cross. To open that door, to get us back, going to have to go to the cross. They didn't know all this yet. They're singing and dancing because they're going to put an army together. But Jesus knows what He's saying. He's alluding to this. I'm going to go into exile just like Jacob. I'm going into hell itself. I'm going into forsakenness. And by doing that, I'll open it up because He said, and you'll see the angels descending and ascending on Me. I'm the stairway. I'm the ladder. I'm the access. I'm the one that is going to shatter that barrier and get you back into God's presence because I myself, from chapter 1, a few verses back, He came and He tabernacled. He made His tent. He took on flesh, a body, so that He could live with us. It is unbelievable. Now they finally figured it all out after, you know, that Jesus is that access point. The way for Jesus was the way of the cross. But the way for the disciples was Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm not going to show you the way. I'm not going to point you in a moral direction where you can have a good moral rectitude. I'm going to be the way for you. Not show you the way. Pretty profound. So what are we seeking? This is what John is trying to get across to people that live in the new age. This new age of uh, the last days, the new creation that Jesus inaugurated and that we are now living in, the continuation. You all remember from theology class, Jesus inaugurates the kingdom at His coming. Then we are living in the days of continuation of that kingdom and there's coming a consummation. I-C-C. Remember that. It's really important. The already, not yet. Remember we talked about that back in the uh, last series. Think about that. That He is saying, here's how we're going to live. Jesus is going to be our access. He is going to be what needs to be the central part of your life. Not number one, and then number two is down here, you know, God, family, uh, my bank account, and whatever. I mean, everybody has that list, right? And He's not saying that. He's saying, I'm not in anybody's list. I am the list. You've got to trust me all the way, completely. And I will bring access to there by being the, the, the thing that brings heaven and earth together. And what is that thing, folks? What did it cost him? His life. In the new world, this new creation, folks, we are seeking Jesus Christ. 
Not money. Money's fine. If God brings you money, great. Power, wonderful. Use it, that's fine. Approval, uh, good. Everybody loves you. I need it. So after church, I want everybody to come and hug me and tell me I've never heard something so inspiring. Um, you know, we, we think we need stuff. And there's stuff we need. But really... I've stood over, as a pastor, I have stood over too many caskets, folks. I have stood there and looked at too many dead bodies. And I've been in the hospital two times for cancer. I've looked at it and I've said, you know what, there's nothing in this world that's going to save me. Nothing. And I want you to look at your inventory of your life and say, what do I got? What, what in the world is going to save me? And if you can point to anything and say, this thing's going to save me, you're in trouble. Because Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the ladder that they will be descending and ascending. I'm the one who's going to go into exile for you. You won't find it in money or power or career. You won't find it in getting a stellar education at some five-star uh, university and paying exorbitant uh, uh, whatever tuition. You won't find it in achievement. Well, you know, I got this uh, award and that award and the other award. You're not going to find it in anything but the man from Nazareth. The weak man, the low man, the guy at the bottom of the barrel, the one nobody gave a hope of a chance, the one who could have called 10,000 legions of angels and brought an end to all suffering and all. Instead, he says, no, I'm going to go suffer so that suffering loses its power. I'm going to go to death so that death has no more sting. I'm going to be poor so that you can be rich. Not in money, but rich. That when all your money has gone, you still have the richest, most, most valuable thing. The, the man from Nazareth. I told you I was going to quote uh, Horatius Bonar. And I'm going to close with this. Now listen to these words, because this man, he got it. And I love it. And I hope you do too. To be entitled to use another's name when my own is worthless, to be allowed to wear another person's raiment because my own is torn and filthy, to appear before God in another's person, the person of the beloved Son, this is the summit of all blessing. The sin-bearer and I have exchanged names and robes and places I am now represented by Him and He now appears before God, the presence of God in heaven. Bethel, the house of God. That's where we're going. I've got many rooms for you there. All that makes Him precious. Listen, folks. All that makes Him precious and dear to the Father has been transferred to me. His excellency, His glory are seen as if they were mine. I receive the love, the fellowship, the glory as if I had earned them all. So entirely one am I with the sin bearer that God treats me. Listen, this is the gospel, the heart of it. God treats me not merely as if I had not done the evil that I have done but he is, if I had done all the good things which I have not done. 
but which my substitute has done for me. In one sense, I'm still a poor sinner, under wrath. In another, I am altogether righteous and shall be full forever because of the perfect one, one in whose perfection I now appear before God. Jesus exchanged places not just to bear our sin, but grant us righteousness so that we look like Him to the Father looks at us and He says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And if that will soak into your heart, if you'll trust Him with that, it will revolutionize your life. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your kindness. We can't believe that this exchange took place, but it did. And it took place because You wanted us with You. Come and see. Come and stay with me. Come to my table and eat and be full and filled. Be satisfied with the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. Amen.